Well, I presume uh, you didn't win the Powerball because otherwise you probably wouldn't be here today. So I'm glad you didn't win the Powerball. Uh, and uh, hopefully you're not uh, burning up with envy because of those that did win the Powerball. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of the lottery systems. And uh, one of the reasons is because they seem to hit poor people the hardest. Uh, they did a survey uh, with those that enter lotteries and that uh, involved in lotteries. If your income is 20000 or less, uh, statistically speaking, uh, people spend about 48 bucks a week uh, on lottery or 500 and something, 50 bucks a year on the lottery. And of course, you know, your, your income is 20,000 per annum. I mean, it's like, this is a disproportionate taxation on the poor. Uh, and that, you know, came home to me in a real way. I was in a store in Worcester and the person in front of me had milk and bread and a lottery ticket. And they went to pay for it, and they said, oh, no, just take the milk back and the bread back. I just have money for the lottery ticket. And I said, okay, this is, <laughs> this is uh, you know, that's when it's gone bad. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, what, can I, what can I tell you? Today, uh, I want to talk about uh, God's wisdom uh, and God's uh, knowledge. And so, you know, with the opening uh, fervor there, uh, you know, we can use wisdom uh, instead of fantasizing about what we would do with our money when we hit the lottery uh, and getting envy when others hit it and you don't, uh, you know, a, a, a wisdom would be, you know, don't choose a lottery ticket over bread. That's not a good, uh, that's not a good uh, choice. Uh, but uh, in another sense, uh, this is also Martin Luther King weekend. And, uh, you know, in many ways, uh, we would say we've made progress with uh, trying to deal with uh, racial issues in our country. Uh, and uh, indeed, there has been tremendous uh, progress, uh, thinking back of uh, the work that Martin Luther King did and to get the country on a better tra trajectory. But uh, we would also be uh, astute to notice that we haven't solved the problem of uh, racial issues in our country. And uh, there does come a point where it's like, okay, how much knowledge do we need to solve this problem versus wisdom? I mean, like, how do we actually solve this problem? And uh, at the universities in the last uh, several months, there's been tremendous turmoil on campuses as they try to, uh, as they're wrestling with, uh, you know, uh, racial issues. So we haven't uh, solved this problem, and I don't actually want to spend uh, much more than that talking about it, except to say that there are things which in our lives, uh, human knowledge is limited. While that's a good thing, uh, you know, reading another textbook on uh, racial issues doesn't solve the problem of the heart where we should uh, love people equally. Uh, that's a whole different uh, challenge. Uh, what I do want to talk about today uh, regarding God's wisdom and knowledge uh, is really this uh, proverb uh, 4 7. It says this getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. But, so, what exactly are we talking about in wisdom? Well, uh, each one of us are going to face at some point in our lives uh, the frustrating situation where life doesn't go the way you want it to go. 
And uh, more specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, if you consider yourself a committed Christian, uh, if you haven't already, you will encounter at some point in your life, and uh, hopefully you're not encountering that, encountering this right now, but at some point in your life, you will get very frustrated with God, and you will get mad, and you will say, God, this is just not fair. Uh, it could be any number of issues. Uh, it could be a health issue. You might uh, be taking care of your body. You might be conscious about what you eat. You might exercise well, and then you get cancer, and you're just like mad. You say, God, why me? Why, am I, why is this happening to me? I've done everything right. Uh, or you might uh, be your finances. Uh, you know, you committed as a Christian, uh, you, you're tithing, and yet you're just struggling uh, financially. And you say, besides everybody else's testimony about how they're being blessed, uh, you're not. And you're just mad at God. Uh, or it might be, you know that God protects you, uh, and you just don't feel God's protection. There's just a time where it's like, God, why are you not protecting me? You know, I take uh, good care of my, my possessions, uh, but the car that I get is always a lemon. You know, it's always falling apart. It should last. I take good care of it, and the thing is just, you know, it's just a money pit. Uh, it's, just, it's just not fair. God, what's up with this? Uh, this is a, a common problem that we have uh, as, as Christians. And then we get frustrated at God and we get mad at God. Uh, and we have a, uh, <clears throat> a cause and effect uh, mindset, which in most cases and in most of the time, that really does work. You know, we spend a lot of time pursuing God. We, we love God. We put God first. And for the most part, uh, our lives are protected, and God loves us, and He provides for us. But there are times where that cause and effect just seems to fall apart, and uh, we are just asking God why, and God is not telling us the answer. In fact, even more frustratingly, uh, you're in a difficult situation, and God seems very distant. Whereas everybody else is sharing testimonies about how great God is and how personal He is and how He's been involved in their lives in a very detailed and specific way. And in your life, uh, God is just, just distant. Or uh, as I know recently, one member in our congregation, a good, hardworking person, and he just got laid off, you know, lose his job for no real cause. I mean, and not just once, but twice, you know, at the most... Uh, inconceivable time just before Christmas. You know, just, it's just like, God, where are you at? And uh, if you're a, a teenager, I, I guarantee this is going to happen to you. You go along, you're going through ch uh, church, and, you, and you're loving God, and you've gone through all the, the youth group and, and children's ministry, and you learn Bible stories, and Samson's strong, and, and uh, you know, all this, David's great, and, and God's always coming through. And then you get a high school teacher, or you maybe make it a university, and you get a professor, and he's like, you know, that God stuff is so ridiculous. I mean, come on. That can't possibly be true. And give you a whole bunch of, you know, logic and situations, and, and you admiring this professor, and all of a sudden his influence is large in your life, and he's like, yeah, I, I, I don't know what 
foolish stuff my parents are believing. I, this, this can't possibly be true. I mean, this is ludicrous. I, you're going to go through these circumstances. And today's the message where we want to look at God's wisdom and God's ways. And, you know, how does, this, uh, how does this add up? What can we get out of it? So what I want you to get out of this message is, is this verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 5.15. It says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Uh, don't be like fools, but like those who are wise. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. And many of you wrestle with that. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm trying to understand what you want me to do. And so, again, uh, my prayer would be, Lord, uh, give us wisdom because you're telling us that that's the wisest thing that we can do. So Jesus, I just ask that you'd help me with my preaching today. Lord, I just pray that uh, you know, there would be application here for every person. There'd be a sense of, okay, I, I understand you better, or a sense of comfort in who you are, and in your word, and who we are, and how this works. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd uh, help me to preach. In your name, uh, Jesus, amen. Uh, well, the Bible has a whole uh, a section of what's called wisdom uh, literature. So it's not like uh, God has said, look, be wise, and then given us no way of knowing, like, okay, how do we become wise? Uh, but this wisdom section uh, is divided up into parts which I'd say people most like, Psalms and Proverbs, and parts which people least like, uh, Job, the book of Job, and I'd say probably particularly the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, uh, for many, the book of Ecclesiastes is just like a complete mystery. It's like, why is this book even in the Bible? You know, the guy's just going on and on and saying everything's meaningless, and uh, he's just very frustrated. And I was going to uh, lean into the book of Ecclesiastes today and uh, try and get some... Uh, help in that book as we're looking at wisdom, but I actually decided to do uh, the book of Job instead for one simple reason, and that is uh, a few weeks ago I was preaching and uh, kind of encouraging you to make a New Year's resolution to read through the Bible. Uh, we handed out uh, the Bible reading plan, and I'm sure all two of you are still on that plan. Uh, I won't ask for a raise of hands. But if you happen to be the other person that's with me on this plan, uh, you would have read the book of Job, or you would be in the book of Job if you're a little uh, behind in your plan. And if you're like an overachiever, you've already blown right through the book of Job. And if you're also doing, for those of you that I suggested, read a little bit of the New Testament and integrate it in with uh, the Old Testament, then you're probably uh, uh, halfway through Job. But... Uh, Nevertheless, uh, for all two of you that are I've upped it now, there's not just one of you following, but two of you that are following uh, the book of Job and have read it, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, that a little bit more. Uh, but perhaps before getting uh, ahead of myself into the book of Job, one quick thought on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I do uh, like one of the ending statements there, where contrasting knowledge and wisdom, uh, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is saying, look, 
uh, you know, you can read a lot of books. Uh, and you can read and read and read, uh, but you might just get weary. And, uh, you know, into that, he's also saying this is all meaningless. Uh, but the idea there is, look, you can study and you can gain knowledge, and knowledge is good, but knowledge is only going to get you so far. Uh, so it is a good thing to read. It is a good thing to be knowledgeable, but it's not equal to wisdom. And no amount of knowledge is going to make you equal to God. I mean, that's the point. Uh, you can learn about God. You can learn about God's ways. But you will never become superior to God or even equal to God. And there's a sense that uh, we will just never know some things about God. And so as we're doing this series, uh, Walking with God, uh, the whole idea of this series is, can we look at different facets of God, different attributes of God, uh, different ways that we can get to know God and understand God? And as we walk our life with God, as we're walking along and we have God at our side and, and we're processing uh, everything that we do uh, through the lens of being a believer, uh, how do we figure God out? Uh, and there's certain things that God has made abundantly clear to us. And then there's certain things like this in the area of wisdom where God just has not revealed and will not reveal everything about Him and His thinking and His decisions to us. And uh, we just have to be comfortable with a very uncomfortable situation where we're going to ask God questions why and He's not going to tell us. And it doesn't matter how smart you are or how well you know your Bible. Uh, there are going to be those questions, those difficulties, those struggles that you go through in life where there just isn't going to be a direct answer to your why question. And the book of Job uh, is a terrific, uh, terrific book. Now, I've got to confess, I uh, always reluctantly read Job. Uh, it's never the book that I'm saying, you know, I'm just so excited to pick up the book of Job and I'm just going to really read this, this book. Uh, I have to confess that I do need a reading plan. And once I've committed to a reading plan, it's like, oh boy, Job's right there. I've got to deal with Job again. And uh, then I get into Job and I'm like, you know, I really do like this book. I mean, I don't like it, but I do like it. Because I don't like what's happening to Job. I don't like his situation. I don't like the frustration. But I do like it because it relates to the really real struggles that we go through. And it helps us, it comforts us uh, to know uh, how God works, even if it's not all that we want to know. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the book, um, the, the book starts out in a very uncomfortable way. It, it starts out, in fact, I'll just read it to you. It's probably better than me telling you. It starts out this way, chapter 1 of Job. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. Uh, he was blameless, a, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Okay, that's the, the opener. So you've got Job being a good guy and a good follower of God. And then uh, what Job doesn't know uh, and never gets to know is what's happening in a spiritual realm behind the scenes. And uh, there's a challenge of uh, Satan to God. And uh, Satan's challenge, and one of the themes of the book, is basically this. He's saying, look, the only people that really 
follow God. And let's make this personal. The only Christians which really stay committed as Christians are those that God is blessing. So, you know, if your Lord is blessing you, if Jesus is very real to you, if you're feeling like God is providing for you, protecting you, uh, directing your love life, you know, uh, helping you with your finances, you just commit it. And as soon as uh, God doesn't bless you, you check out. And, uh, you know, much of preaching, uh, I'd say pretty much 90% or 99% of preaching on on, on television and in the pulpit would be a cause and effect type thing. You do this, God will do this. Uh, you do this right, God will bless your, your, your life uh, correctly. And then you have the book of Job, and uh, I, I must just read the words for you. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. Okay, there's an insight right there. God can put a wall of protection around you and your property, uh, and that's a good prayer to pray. Uh, and he says, you have made him prosper in everything he does. Job is, uh, Satan is acknowledging God. You, you've made this person prosper. It's been your blessing. Look how rich he is. But here's the challenge. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And I can tell you as a pastor, uh, people will come to church and when things are going well for them, uh, they just keep coming. And as soon as uh, God doesn't do the thing that they think God should do in their life or the way God should bless them or uh, they go through some struggle and God doesn't come through the way they've prayed or they've had other people pray, it's like I check out a church, I check out a God or don't really check out a God. It's like, I still believe. I just hate his church and I hate the word and I hate it, Christians. But I, I believe God. Some, it's like, no, you don't. I mean, you've checked out because God wasn't the God that you created in your own image. The way you thought Jesus should work or God should work, he didn't do it that way. And now you're mad and you're mad at God and you're mad at me and you're mad at every other you know, person and, and you're checking out. Uh, so what God is saying and what Satan's challenge is, wait, Job won't just bless you and won't serve you and won't honor you unless you richly reward him. And this is how this whole uh, book unfolds. And, uh, you know, in pretty short measure, you've got Job's uh, feeling a lot of pressure uh, from his wife. Uh, I mean, look at the way this thing works out. In, in chapter 1, verse 8, we haven't, no, chapter 2, verse 8, we haven't gone too far. Uh, Job has lost all his wealth. He's lost all his uh, possessions. Uh, he's lost his family. And not only that, he's physically being afflicted. And it says in verse 8, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat amongst, among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. I mean, you know, there's a good support from your wife, right? <laughs> but Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. And here's the insight. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all, th in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. 
you, you know, Job kind of got it. He said, look, I, 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 I serve God and I worship God because of who God is, not only for what God will do for me. And, uh, and then you've also got to understand, perhaps, as you work your way through a book like, uh, like Job, it's also a poem. Uh, it's a different style of literature to reading you know, Genesis or Kings or, or some historical thing. And so there's a, a really amazing and beautiful uh, structure in the background. It goes something like this. In the first part of the book from chapter 1 through chapter 27, you've got Job and you've got his three friends. And so Job says something and then a friend says something and Job replies to the friend and then the other friend says something and Job replies. And you've got three sets of that happening three times. And then you've got chapter 28, uh, which I'll talk about. And then the rest of the book, you've got the three friends doing the same uh, set of uh, dialogue. This time, they're all shorter by a third, and the conversation now is becoming much more pointed, and you can hardly call them friends at this point. They're more like enemies. Uh, and so you've got this poetic um, thing happening in the background. Plus, you've got a you know, poetic style. It's not just a fact which is being made. It's a fact which is you know, greased around and explained in good poetic language and uh, elaborated on. And, and uh, if you like poetry, you really get into it. And if you don't like poetry, you really get frustrated with it. It's like, just give me the facts. Do I have to read like 42 chapters just to get the point here? I won't admit to that, but you know, I'm in that camp. So uh, that's why it's like, I like Joe, but I can't remember. Okay, chapter 38 is coming. You know, like, let me just read chapter 38 to 42. I don't want... Here's another challenge. Uh, if you're an engineer or an accountant uh, or an IT person... Uh, you like life, generally speaking, because you're wired that way, for everything to be black and white. Uh, it's like cause and effect. Uh, you know, do one and one and equals two. I, you know, put this chemical and that chemical together. I program it this way. It comes out that way. And if it doesn't, there's a bug and I'm going to find it. And, you know, that's the way it's going to be. And then you come across uh, uh, people skills. And it's really frustrating. Or you come across a book like Job. Or you come across life things. And you realize life just isn't black and white. It's not just like I do this and this happens. You know, if, if I'm nice to my wife, then, then she'll just love me. Uh, you know, if I work hard at work, I'm going to get rich. Uh, you know, it just, life just isn't that black and white. We wish it would be. And there are principles and there are... But when you deal with people, it, it's always more complicated than just cause and effect. And uh, it can frustrate us. Um, in chapter 21, uh, Job says this, if you're following along. Uh, Job's response uh, in chapter 21, verse 2, he says to his accusers, he says, listen closely to what I'm saying. That's one consolation you can give me. And here's a point. When somebody's hurting and struggling, listening to them is like a big deal. And Job's saying, if you'll just listen to me, you know, without like telling me what I should do, that would really like help me. And Job's counseling these guys, look, I'd really appreciate it. Like you started off listening to me. You sat around for a week and just listened. It was really helpful. But now you're starting to tell me everything I need to do and it's like irritating me. And then uh, Job points out that life isn't black and white. In verse 7, why do the, the wicked prosper, growing old and powerful? 
They live to see their children grow up and settle down. They even enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear, and God does not punish them. Their bulls never fail or breed. Their cows uh, bear calves, and they never miscarry. Uh, they let their children frisk uh, about like lambs. Their little ones skip and dance. They sing with a tambourine and harp. They celebrate the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, and they go to the grave in peace. And yet they say to God, go away. We want no part of you and your ways. Who is the Almighty and why should we obey Him? What good will it do for us to pray? Ah, that's the frustration that all of us face at some point. It's like, why is it that the people that aren't reverent, that aren't holy, that don't fear God, are just doing so well and... We are trying to live life the way God has ordered it and wants us to live, and we're battling and frustrated. That's, that's the tension. And that's what Job's pointing out. And that's why this book is so great, because it you know, tells life the way it is. And yet, at the same time, uh, it's saying God is good. And uh, it, it is the right thing to do, is to pursue God and to do it uh, correctly. Uh, I'm busy reading a, a, a book uh, by Dr. Ben Carson called uh, Gifted Hands. Uh, he's a neurosurgeon. He's also running for, uh, I think, in the Republican uh, race for president. But I'm not talking about any of his attributes to be a, a president or politician. I am just uh, want to share one of his stories as a neurosurgeon and, uh, because we can relate to this. Uh, uh, so he had a, a client or he had a, a patient, I should say, that had brain tumors, and uh, at like 20 years old, uh, he did his first brain surgery, removed a tumor, you know, you got to cut the guy's skull open, take the tumor out, put it back together, and uh, who knows all what you guys in the medical prof profession do. But uh, this particular patient uh, had a disease where this, he knew this tumor was going to come back. And so this patient got married, uh, at, you know, young, like 20 years old, and, and this, his wife, who was a believer that they were Christians, said, look, you know, uh, I'm going to marry him. I, I, don't, I know the future is not great. He's probably going to die of a, a tumor, and uh, I'm going to marry him anyway. I know I'm marrying, for, and it's going to be a hardship all the way. Uh, but they were committed to pray, and they were committed to, uh, you know, seeing how this would work out. Well, time rolls on, and... Uh, uh, indeed, it gets another tumor. But in this time, the tumor is in the, uh, the, the brain stem. And uh, all the neurosurgeons saying, forget it. We don't, we don't do operations on brain stems. They're just like, no good comes out of this. So everybody's saying, look, just let the guy die. Uh, we, we can't do anything about it. And the, fam the, the wife has had gathered a big prayer team and said, listen, we're all praying. Uh, ben, please, will you do the surgery? Uh, and, and, and Dr. Carson, he says, look, I've got to explain this to you. Uh, I haven't done surgery in the brainstem, and uh, no good things come out of this. Uh, uh, this is like high risk. He said, but on the other hand, if I do nothing, he will die. It's not a doubt. He, he, he will die, and he will become paralyzed first, and uh, he will die. Uh, if I do something, there's a high probability that I could do a lot of damage. Uh, there is even the possibility that he could be uh, alive but a vegetable. Uh, you know, this is not a, a good outcome. 
And so he said, look, we're praying. We've got a team. We've prayed. Uh, do it. And so he, finally they decided to do the surgery. And uh, Dr. Carson gets in and he's probing with the needle at, you know, right at the beginning of the surgery, just trying to find in the brain stem uh, where the uh, tumor is. And as he's poking around, he just starts bleeding like out of control profusely. And then they've got two other doctors. One is watching each uh, hemisphere and seeing what activity is happening. And in short measure, the half the brain is dead. It's just like flat lines. It's like, okay, so we know that half this patient's body is now, no matter what the outcome of the thing is going to be, you know, no movement, no speech, no nothing on half his body. And so you can imagine being the surgeon trying to do this. Anyway, finally he gets the tumor, he gets it out, but he knows the damage is done, uh, puts the person's skull back together, goes into recovery and tells the, the wife and says, okay, look, I, this, I'm sorry, this just didn't go so well. And then the wife has the, the moment that maybe that's not going to be our situation, hopefully it won't be. She says, I am just so disappointed. I, I, I mean, I know you tried everything, but we've been praying and, uh, and, you know, so the days go by and the week goes by and the guy's just alive, but he's, he's comatose, he's just a vegetable. And, uh, and so the wife is like, man, I'm only 30 years old. We didn't even have kids. And I really believe that God is going to do something and use, some, uh, use you, Dr. Carson. And, 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 use you. and he's like, I, I, I did my best. Now, that, that would be, you know, the depressing situation that we would and should face life in because life's a gift and, and it wasn't his fault, Dr. Carson's fault. And the person praying I mean, she married the guy knowing that this could happen, and indeed it did happen. Now, I wouldn't tell you the story because that's kind of depressing, and depressing enough you guys didn't win the lottery, and you know, now I'm telling you. <laughs> the rest of the story is pretty awesome and pretty miraculous. So, you know, like a, a week later, he just like wakes up, and he starts talking. And he says like, he's talking. Not only is he talking, like, uh, he's, he starts like talking and moving both sides of his, and Dr. Carson says, move your hand. Move your other hand, wiggle your toe, wiggle your other toe. And he walks out and said, this is a miracle. I, I witnessed it. I did the surgery. I know. This is a total miracle. He says, this is a miracle. She says, this is a miracle. And indeed, it was a, a major miracle. Full recovery, no, inef no ill effects, just, you know, just unexplainable grace of God. I mean, woo. And so, we, you know, this is the tension we live in. On the one hand, we know God can, and we know God does, and we know God delights in it, and we should be praying for it. But on the other hand, we also know that we can't control the mind of God. We can't manipulate God. We can pray and petition, but sometimes God just allows us to have hardship in a way that uh, we don't know why. So anyway, in chapter 28 of Job, it's a sort of a, you could sort of make a heading in this chapter, the difference between uh, wisdom and knowledge. And uh, I'll paraphrase it just in the interest of time. It starts off in this chapter, and Job is saying, people know where to mine silver and how to refine gold. They know where to dig uh, for iron and how to smelt copper from the rock. 
and basically saying, you know what, we've got smartphones, we're really intelligent people, uh, we can do a lot of smart things, we've got a lot of, like we can do a lot of super smart things, we've figured it out, we really have a lot of knowledge. I mean, we can you know, put something on the cloud and uh, we can retrieve all our photographs back down, who knows how it works, but we've figured it out, or somebody's figured it out, and it works. I mean, it's just amazing. And uh, we are just really super smart people. And then uh, Joe points out the fact that in verse 12, but where can people find wisdom? Where can they find understanding? As a whole different thing to being just smart. Uh, and then re the refrain goes back in verse uh, 20, but where do people find wisdom? Because this is poetry, so it repeats. And then in verse 23, God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found, for he looked through the whole earth and he sees everything under the heavens. He decided how hard the wind should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the laws of rain and the path uh, and laid out the path of the lightning. The song that we sung this morning. Then he saw wisdom and evaluated it. He set it in place and examined it thoroughly. And this is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. And so what God is saying to us, He says, we need to fear Him, we need to trust Him, we need to uh, look to Him, but we shouldn't ask and expect uh, to understand, you know, the operations of God's mind. Like, we can't always ask the mind my question. Now, I want to be a, a, a brief here, but in Job, uh, it's an Old Testament book, and uh, many in the Old Testament uh, had a different idea of what happens when you die. Most people in the Old Testament thought when you die, you die, which is why the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, the book of Job, but more so the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a sense of, man, this is just not right. Good people are, are, are suffering and bad people are prospering, and then you both die, and it just does, it's just not fair. And it's just depressing. It's all meaningless. But... Uh, the book of Job and, the, and Ecclesiastes, they point to Jesus. And I just want to show you this in, in chapter 9 in a small way, uh, because Job says this, If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, the mediator could make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. So in other words, Job is pointing towards Jesus or he's pointing towards the longing for Jesus or he's pointing towards the need for Jesus. He's saying, how do I, how do I battle uh, my, my earthly human struggles uh, and also reverence the holy nature of God? And he's saying, I need a bridge. I need somebody that can be like fully human and fully divine and, and sort of understand my suffering and what do you know? That's what Jesus went through. He understood our suffering. He suffered unfairly. I mean, he was beaten, spat upon, put on a cross. He didn't deserve it. He didn't do anything wrong. And for all of our, the disciples, for the life of them, even though Jesus told them, they didn't understand it. It was like, why, why, why? And Jesus, it needs to be done. And it, after the fact, oh, then we get it. But the biggest part of that was the resurrection. It's like, wait a bit. Jesus didn't just die. He overcame. And so the book of Ecclesiastes and Job now starts taking on a whole other dimension, which the Old Testament folks weren't all like into. And that is, hey, 
after death, we can still balance the scales. There can still be justice. This thing can still work out. It can still be good. It might just not be in this life. But the way you live this life is going to determine what's going to happen after resurrection. It, it makes a big difference. And after you've been resurrected, it's too late to like straighten out your life. It's, that's when uh, you know, decisions are going to be made. I want to just like bring this down a level, uh, and in your bulletin insert, I want to finish with this. So how does one gain wisdom? You know, five aspects to how, we, how one gains wisdom. Well, the first part is salvation that comes from reverence. There's a sense of, God, I, I fear you. I, I, I fear you in the sense that you exist. I fear you in the sense that uh, I need you. And uh, I know that if I live for you or have you live within me, my life is just going to be so much better than if I don't. So first, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 16, 18 says this. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So there is something about... When we accept Christ, when we have the Holy Spirit residing within us, a veil is lifted. Now, for many of you, this is like so like, duh, you know, it's obvious, because you've had this experience. You try to read the Bible before you were a believer, and you couldn't make it past Genesis 2. You know, it was just like the most ridiculous, boring, you know, irrelevant book that you've ever come across. And you tried and tried, and there's just, it just didn't make any sense. And then you receive Christ... And now all of a sudden, this book starts really being a helpful book. I mean, it's like interesting. And you hear it on the radio, and you turn the knob up, and you hear it on TV, and you, you listen in. And all of a sudden, anything about God and God's ways and word become relevant because the veil has been lifted up. So likewise, Proverbs 10, 9, 10 says, Fear the Lord, he is the foundation of wisdom. And Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. We need Christ, we need God, we need to know Him personally, we need to give our lives to Him. The second part is the next step, Colossians 3.10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. We get a new nature, God gives it to us, and we need to develop it. We need to take that and develop our new nature. Uh, we need to grow in Christ. And uh, at the 101 class, I, I talk about, like, how do we do this? What's the process? Uh, the next uh, step I'm pointing out here is we need to know God's Word. And I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Psalm 119 it really talks about the benefits and loving God's Word. But there's something about we need to have knowledge by reading the Bible, but reading the Bible and gaining that knowledge in and of itself is not enough. The, the, the Bible or the knowledge is pointing us to a relationship that we need to get with God. And the knowledge just in and of itself is helpful, it's good, but it's not enough. Uh, we need to be able to connect. That's the point. We need to connect with God, not just read about God. So God's Word is important in knowing Him and connecting to Him. And then the fourth point is uh, we gain wisdom, uh, frustratingly so for many of you, from each other. 
the, God has designed it, organized it, that uh, church is part of His plan. By coming to church, there's a, uh, is part of God's connection to Him and to each other. And part of small groups uh, is how we get wisdom from each other. And God has designed it that way. It's like everybody has something to impart to somebody else. Uh, it's not just the knowledgeable person that knows the scripture. Uh, that's very helpful. But it's also for the person that's just going through life. And is saying, you know what? Uh, this is what I've experienced. God has been good to me. This is how God's blessed me. Or I'm struggling. Can you help me? Will you pray for me? Uh, so small groups uh, are essential. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. It's each other. There's an each other component to walking this life together within Christ. And then it ends, it says, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And for many of you, if you go to like a life group, uh, I call it the vanilla type of small group. We have some worship. We have some sharing. We have some praying. Now, the other groups too. They will have like, you know, the wild at heart group. It might not have worship or a Bible study. There might be Bible study, but no worship. Or, you know, it might have prayer. I mean, components. But find the group that you're most suitable for. But the final point is really, really important. Uh, this is, if you get this, you kind of get it all. And if you don't get this, God is always going to be a mystery to you. So uh, try and grasp this point. Life is intended for your glory. No. No. That's the problem. We think life is intended for our glory. If we get this, it's so frustrating because it's not what we want to hear. But if we get it, everything makes sense. Life is intended for God's glory. Now, listen to Romans eleven thirty-three through 36. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. It is impossible. Okay, just, just like, it's impossible for us to fully understand God's decisions and ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give Him advice? And who can give Him so much that He needs to pay it back? That's our mindset. God, I've given you all this. Now pay it back. I need it back. I've been really good. I deserve it. Give it to me. I mean, we don't say that because that's irreverent. I mean, but that's what we're saying. And here's the main point. Verse 36. For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. Now, now if, we, if we get that, we get Job, we get Ecclesiastes, like we get, we get life, we get what Jesus was trying to say to us. For everything comes from Him. He made it, He created it, we, we came from dust, we're going back to dust. Everything comes from Him. Not only that, God's got it all under control. He's large and in charge. He's got the earth going and He's got climate control under control. He's got you under control. He's got the kings under control. He's got the political process under control. He's got the oil price that's dropped like, you know, whatever. He's got that under control. I mean, God's got it under control. Uh, and we don't. That, that's the point. He's large and in charge. For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Amen. That's the point. 
Why don't we stand, uh, have the worship team uh, coming up. Jesus, we just thank you that uh, you do have everything under control. Lord, and I thank you that you know each one of us personally, and you love us, and you want relationship with us. But Lord, it's our uh, privilege uh, to just look up to you for our help, for our needs, for our direction. And Lord, you are a loving God. We thank you that you sent your Son so that we can know you better and that you sent your Holy Spirit to reside within us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. I just pray blessing on your people this week. In your name, Jesus. Amen.